Welcome to Business Rescue 101, hosted by business coach Jeff Miles and guest Grant Thorpe. Right, Jeff, let's talk about some ways to get some leads for your business. And I know you've got seven great ideas, and I've probably got one. So you give me your seven first, and I'll see if my one beats the lot. One of the best ones of all, Yellow Pages. Don't forget to use Yellow Pages. If you're in a business and you want to drive traffic to you, then if somebody's searching, the most common thing they're going to use is either going to search on the internet, Yellow Pages. They're going to search on a directory, Yellow Pages. Yellow Pages is one of the best tools to have as part, not the only, but part of your total marketing. And make sure that you take the internet listing part of it as well, not just the book, because I think really that's where we're going with the future there, isn't it, Jeff? One of the next ones is database marketing. One of the ways to build your database is to run a competition, to be at an expo, to collect names, and then put them into your database so you can use the database to market out to people. Comes back to that saying, isn't it? The guy with the biggest list wins. The more names you've got, the more chance you have to communicate those with those people. And those names can be very, very valuable for you over time. You know, a direct response letter has to be that. It has to have a direct response. So there's three things that have to go in that direct response letter that you need. And what are those three things? No, no, let come me on, tell you. Let, let me, me come, come, come and tell me. Come and tell me the three things that you need to... Now, you've got to tell me because we've got to be very careful we don't give any secrets away. Well, if people have bought this CD, I think they deserve the secret. Cut, and Jeff, cut, come, on, is, come on, come on, give it away, give it up. This is the single simplest thing, but people forget it every day of the week. It's so simple. This is the three things you have in a direct response letter. You need to say this, this is what I've got. Second thing is, this is what it will do for you. And the third thing is, this is what I want you to do next. Wow. Tell me those three things again. This is what I've got. You need to be clear. This is the product, service, or whatever you have that you are offering. And the second one? This is what it will do for you. There's no point telling you all about how good it is for me, the supplier. It's what it will it do for you, Jeff. It will change your life. You need to be emotionally engaged. This is how it will change your life. This is how it will make things easier for you. This is how it will make you more money. This is what it will do for you. So you're talking about the features? No, no. You are talking about... No, no, you're talking about the benefits, really. It's what is in it for you. I've heard about that. You don't talk about the features, you talk about the... Benefits. You need to get people emotionally engaged. You can't get them emotionally engaged about the features. Let's talk about a house, for instance. It's got four bedrooms, two bathrooms, double garage, and the garage is 50 square metres. So what? But emotionally engaged could be every teenager has their own bathroom, room for three cars, plus all the bikes and the surfboards. You know, we're getting emotionally engaged. We need to say, what's in it for me? It's the storage capacity or the room or the entertainment capacity. That's what we're looking for. So we want to get people certainly emotionally engaged in that. And I keep using those two words, and I'll say it again, emotionally engaged. Write it for the buyer. Don't write it for the seller, which is often you. Next, the last thing is... This is what I want you to do. We need a call to action. You know, Jeff, if your daughter was having a birthday party, you couldn't have a party without sending out invites. No one would turn up. And you couldn't send out an invite if you didn't have a party to come to. So the call to action is, you know, in the invite it says, turn up this Saturday, 3 p.m., that's when the party is. And this is what we're looking for in this. We need them to say, call now, act here, phone this, email here, click on this link, do this next, because if you want that emotionally engaging, life-changing experience, all I'm asking you to do is this simple little thing. So 
in relation to building a database, the next tool that you can use to help build your relationship is hosting an event, something like a wine and cheese evening. You could be having the latest release of something that's come into your business. It could be the latest fashion. It could be the latest music CD. It could be the latest tiles. It could be the latest treatment of a tax practice. It could be something, a new law and superannuation. It could be tickets to the latest movie that could relate to your business. It could be so many things where you are able to invite people where you are the key person to host an event. Once again, this is coming back to this is what I've got, this is what it will do for you. Come here and learn something, come here and be involved, and here's the call to action, turn up. A very strong call to action. And part of that event is that we're creating a database, and what we're looking for is even some referral in there. Like we could say, bring a guest. Register here. You want registration, you want names and emails and contact details. You don't just want strangers walking in the door, but you do want to open it up so that other people can bring like-minded people with them that will increase your database. And you can sell something to them another day, can't you, Jeff? Yes, you can. And that brings us up to now the fourth part of these seven key things, sponsorship. Oh, I love sponsorship. I'm really passionate about that because I think people get it so wrong so often. I know you've had experience before when you had some jet skis. Can you tell me an experience you've had with your sponsorship? Well, Jeff, this is back when I was in my 20s, and we were racing jet skis as you do back then, and no one had sponsorship. It was a very expensive sport. But what I did is I recognised that if I could create some sponsorship first, I was able to then fund better equipment and obviously get to a better performance and better results. So I actually approached some customers that I had that I knew of and talked to them about some sponsorship. There was a bit of a process to that because I was um, trying to give them great value. You know, I didn't come in and just say, hey, I need a check for $2,000, $5,000, $10,000, thanks very much. I was looking at what I could give back to them. You've got to be considering the value transaction. Like if you want sponsorship, it's not a one-way street. You might want their dollars, but they're going to be saying, well, hang on, what's in it for us? You just want our dollars. How did you reward your sponsors? Well, first of all, Jeff, I went to them with a plan and I said, what I'm looking for is a sponsorship, but the most important thing, Mr. Sponsor, is this is what I can give to you. So I talked to them about numbers. I have an event with this many people. The crowd was you know, in excess of 10,000 people on a Saturday at the main beach, and I could give you exposure to that. So who were some of the sponsors, and how did you give them value? Jeff, I had Panasonic Batteries was one of them, and that was a company that I knew of, and I knew someone who had the agency for that, but I talked about branding up my trailer that was going to be up and down the motorway on the weekends, going to and from events, and had a national brand, and that people were going to see that. I talked about flags and signage at the events, and how that we could give great exposure for that. And who else did you have? Well, Jeff, I actually had Trojan condoms, funny enough. And, you know, once again, we were able to distribute that product at the events and we had great signage with that. And there was a bit of fun with that as well. Didn't you find that controversial? Yeah, yeah, I did. But, you know, that itself creates part of the hype. Yeah, it does. It is a bit of hype with that, and that that worked really well. And the other one that was really clever was that I raced what they call an X2, so my my race number had to have an X after it. We had a local radio station, and there was Radio 89X. And what I did is I went and applied for the race number first. I applied to get 89X. That would be an interesting thing because most people would want to apply for a race number that's up the top, number yeah. one, two, three, or four. Yeah, because if the lower the number you've got, the more successful, you know, number one obviously can have number one. But, you know, I applied for 89 knowing it wasn't going to be a big ask for that. But then I went to the radio station. I said, hey, what an incredible coincidence. I've got your number. And I envisaged 
this. And what I had done is I had got the logo of the radio station, I'd taken a photograph of my ski on the trailer, and then superimposed their number and their graphics onto that and showed them what it would look like while I was driving around. And they actually agreed to sponsor that. They paid for the sign writing, they paid to deck my ski out like a radio brand, and then during those promotional weekends when they had events on, you know, and they have their vehicles out and their flags up at different things, if I wasn't racing that weekend, I agreed that I could participate in that and they would actually pay me to be there with this branded ski. The public perceived that the radio station owned that ski. The reality is it was mine, but I was getting that sponsorship. So I went about it in the right way. You know, so often in my business, you have groups coming in, you know, sports clubs and things, and we need $1,000. We want $1,500. And they just put their hand out and they offer absolutely nothing in return. And you know what? You didn't even get any feedback. You know, when I ran an event, I'd had my flags up. I always took photographs and evidence that I had done what I promised. So what did you do with those? And then I sent them in on the Monday to all those sponsors and said, this is where we were on the weekend. Here's the crowd. They could see the crowd. They could see my flags up, the signage and what we were doing. And I was showing them and reinforcing the value because at the end of the year when I wanted my next check, I wanted to increase the chances of getting it. And I think that's really important. I've done something similar with some sponsorship deals that I've helped negotiate is at events, whether I'm the sponsor or somebody else is a sponsor, I try to take a photographer myself, not just use the events photographer, that way I can control the photo shoot. And you take the photograph of somebody receiving awards standing in front of the sponsor's banner. So you're taking the photograph from a different angle so you've got not just the podium standing there shaking their hands in front of the podium, but you take it from an angle where the sponsor's banner is in the photo shot and then you're shaking that person's hand. And what you can do with that is two things you could do. You take the photo, get it produced and get it framed times two. One of them is to send back to the sponsor in a framed photograph of how they're sponsoring this award And then the next part is going to be that you give it to the person who won the award. There's always the opportunity, if you're using the right frame, to put a little brass plaque with your company name, whatever that company name is. So you're seen to be decision makers. You're seen to be a part of the action. You seem to have authority. That's right. You're going to work to earn that sponsorship. You don't get it for nothing. Here's another key thing, Jeff, and this is the big one. This is what sponsorship's worth all time, big time, is that that sponsor has a list too. And you can tap into that list. You can have your product or your success or whatever market it out through that sponsor's list. So if you can create some sponsorship, you have the ability to market your event. Remember we talked about this is what I've got, this is what it will do for you, and this is what I want you to do next. Or what I want you to do next, imagine if your sponsor could multiply your marketing efforts by communicating to their list the things that you're doing. And so it's a multiplier there that is almost... You know, unmeasurable. It's unbelievable. Well, it's showing that the sponsor is giving back to their target audience. So if we've got a tooling company, we'll just pick one. It could be Snap-on Tools. And Snap-on Tools goes and sponsors an event like the Apprentice of the Year Award. And that award can now get posted out, or that the photograph of that award can get posted out to all the Snap-on clients saying that we're not just here to sell your stuff, we're also here to support your industry. And of course, local media love that. You know, if you can supply an article that's already written with a photograph to local papers and websites, all those sort of things, they love it, they love it, and they'll print it, print it, and it costs you nothing. It's free advertising. It's absolutely huge. Now, Jeff, the other thing that's really important in this Leaves for Business is the number one thing, you know, that everyone will tell you is the business card. You know, it's so powerful isn't it? The ability to create the right activity around your business card because remember that's something that really is your details that can go into someone's pocket. 
here's some tips for anyone that's about to get their business cards done or redone. The branding on the business card is actually not important because when a person wants your business services, they're not actually so much interested in what your name's called or what your logo is. Obviously, it needs to look professional. But what they're really after is how easy are you to contact? What's the challenge for everybody as they get older? Their eyesight. Yeah, they literally can't read the thing. And so often you get young, zany people that are creating graphic design masterpieces where you can't see the phone number. So the first tip that I tell anybody about if they wanted to give out business cards is make sure that the number is bold and clear and easy for anyone to see. Even if it's just your main number, it might just be your mobile number. It doesn't have to be big detail on the rest, but the key call to action number has to be bold. And the other thing is, this is what I've got for you. On the business card, this is what I've got for you. Now, sometimes you can't see or can't have enough space on the front of the business card. So what do you think you should do? Well, use the back. Absolutely. So if you are a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, you could put down either your SCA or your points of difference. You could put, if you were a dentist, you could put on there the next appointment. What a great way to get a lead or get a repeat customer coming back to buy more. When you write on the back of your business card, your next appointment. Now, you keep that business card at home. You have now go home, you put it into your diary, into your Outlook system, and then you've still got that business card at home. Now, just think back. We're talking this thing about referrals. Just think back to how you were introduced to your doctor, lawyer, dentist, or accountant. In 90% of all cases, they are referred. And if you are giving out enough business cards, that customer or client is going to sit there with several business cards. They can easily give it away. If you're going to the cost of doing those business cards, that same template, that same piece of artwork can easily be put into a fridge magnet or an adhesive sticker. Now, I know the other day I went and took my cat to the vet, Jeff, and right on the counter there, business card and a fridge magnet and a sticker. Great, I want one of those. You know, I don't want to be fumbling around in the middle of the night if the cat's, you know, going to die or something and I need to get him to the vet. So I took those home, but what I did is I was able to put, you know, the fridge magnet on the fridge, but the sticker, guess where I put it? I put it on the plastic container that carries the cat biscuits. Now I know if I go, got to find the vet, go to the cat biscuits, job's done, I've got that under control. And that's the sort of thing you're looking for. You know, if you're a real estate agent, an insurance person, a lawyer, a doctor, often someone isn't really thinking about you until it's an emergency. And then they need your number quick. That brings into play a lot of techniques around how you can position your business so that you're essential. One way that motor mechanics do it, rather than sending out just a standard paper or card business card, is to send out a magnetic one and just accompany it with a letter and tell the person what you want them to do. So please take this magnetic business card and stick it in one of two places. Yep, one of two places. Here's where you can stick my business card. Stick my business card up under your bonnet or stick my business card up under your bootlet because whenever there's a problem with the car it could either be a tire or where are your tires held they're in the boot so as they go there they open the boot up and then they see the business card in case you need mechanical assistance call and you have your phone number there a big phone number the next part is if there's something wrong with the engine you lift the bonnet up and right stuck up underneath on the bonnet with a magnetic business card for everyone to see that opens the bonnet or a steam coming out of the engine is if you need mechanical assistance call this number and the number is nice big and bold so you can stick these magnetic business cards where 
the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> but it can be helpful to your customer, and that's what you're trying to be. You're trying to yeah. be helpful to your customer. And you're only asking them to do that once, and it's there forever, which is fantastic. Another thing you could put on the back of the business card is we will honour a competitor's offer. So you're thinking of a voucher where somebody turned around, they might be selling pizzas, they might be selling fish and chips, they might be selling coffee, they might be selling anything. So you look at the back of your business card and say, we will match any competitor's offer. It's a great way to bring in customers of another business. It's very powerful because it eliminates that price objection, absolutely. So Jeff, tell us a little bit about point number six because you know, you've, we've got this point here about car signage and I think that's so important nowadays. It really is the mobile a billboard, isn't it? It is. Part of the uses for car signage is builders could have signs on the car, but it's about having something besides the phone number. And obviously the phone number must be bold on the side of a car. And not just on the doors of the car, you also want it on the rear of the car for any car that's falling behind you. You also want to have it on the front of your car. And if you've got it on the front of the car, there's also some benefits of considering when you look in the back of your car and you see an ambulance coming towards you. Did you know when you look through a rear view mirror and you see the word ambulance in the back of the mirror, what's the interesting thing about that? You can it's read spelt it. backwards. It's spelt backwards. So when you're looking it's at mirrored. it... mirrored. Yeah, it's mirrored. It's an unusual way of having it. Builders could have a tagline on the side of their advertising, such as, we will build the house of your dreams or level it. We will build the house of your dreams or level it. It's a way to, to say, we stand by our products. Now, that's better than just saying S&S Electrical. That brings into mind another thing. Please avoid using S&S Electrical or S&S Plumbing or M&M Building. It tells the person reading it absolutely nothing. You need to have special things on the side of your van that actually educate. There's a call to action there. Jeff, that's really emotional engagement again. You're actually telling them what's in it for them. And one of the benefits of making the phone call rather than a whole lot of factual stuff about you, you know, with the name of your business is near on irrelevant. So a motor mechanic could put on the side of their vehicle, get a free, and bolden the word free, because everybody loves that word, get a free loan car when you're servicing your car with us. Just put that on the side of the vehicle. Get a free loan car when you service your vehicle with us. A real estate agent could have asked me how to sell your home in 28 days or less which is what every vendor wants. And a cafe could put on the side of their delivery van, get your second cup of coffee with us for free or for half price or for a discounted price off. A curtain and blind maker could have something on the side of their vehicle saying, buy one curtain and get one free. There are so many things that you can use your car signage for besides the obvious of just stating your name. And also, one of the last parts is to put at the back of your car for anyone following behind you. If you own a business and you have employees, this is a little trick or technique that you use to make sure that you're hearing what's happening from people driving vehicles with your name on it. Is put a little sticker beside the name plate, not too small, one that can easily be seen, and say, we appreciate safe driving and then put your phone number. So that didn't need to be big enough to be seen from a vehicle that's swerving and speeding away from you and, and doing something dodgy. So it needs to be reasonably big, doesn't it, Jeff? That employer may not know that one of their employees has just done absolutely something so stupid by cutting off potential customers. They're creating such bad will, so they don't know about that unless you have a sign saying, we appreciate and reward good drivers, 
and then the phone number. I know from my experience that when that call's made, those people actually appreciate receiving that call. They wouldn't have put the number on there if they didn't want the call in the first place. They're then able to address that early enough with their employee and really use that as a counselling opportunity. I mean, no one's really going to lose their job over that, but at the end of the day, it's an opportunity for that business owner to address those issues early before they get repeated in the marketplace. Great, we've got some great content so far, but to just wrap up, the last point in the seven things to get some leads would be for accountants or lawyers or professionals to look at information, to use information to run some seminars or workshops for their clients. What they're doing there, Jeff, is they're really projecting themselves as the expert. They're the consultant and is also willing to share. And really, you know, you're only maybe sharing a portion of that. But for that, there's some real benefits, isn't there, in putting that seminar. Tell me a little bit about what they could gain from that. Well, they could lead out to their clients to bring the clients inside their offices. It could be, again, as we mentioned before, a special closed door event. They could market it such as the seven secrets to asset protection that business owners must know to protect themselves. Or it could be six sneaky ways to beat your competition. Ring us up now and book a seat to hear about the latest tax treatment or to hear about asset protection or to hear about how to collect money from clients that don't want to pay you. Mm, So a debt collection company could run a seminar on uh, assisting with that. A real estate agent could run one on property investment and then have some properties available to show that evening whether it's on some sort of PowerPoint presentation or something. But they could bring in other experts as well. You could bring in a mortgage broker. You could bring in a solicitor or an accountant and have some experts available on the night. So you don't even necessarily need to be the expert, but you can put on a panel of professionals that your audience can come along to gather that information from those experts on that evening. One of the things I did many years ago with a real estate agency in Australia, a franchise group, was we ran some wealth creation seminars. Now, the real estate agent was very nervous about being called an investment advisor, and we didn't want to do that. But we still wanted to put on some events to show their potential clients the benefits that real estate can act as a tool for wealth creation. So what we did, we ran a series of five seminars over, uh, I think it was about eight months. And the first seminar got about 40 people along. And what we promoted for the real estate agency was we looked at their property management department for the people who had invested in real estate. And then we went through and we asked the people who who the sales reps were, who do you think would speak well enough to promote the benefits of owning real estate? And they actually got people to stand there that were their customers and talk about the benefits that they had received from owning real estate. So they didn't actually themselves talk about the benefits that they'd got. They'd got the actual owner of the property in there. Now, you can't get more believability than the actual customers standing out there saying, I buy property because of this reason. And they eloquently tell the people. They talk about the benefits of it. It's audience-driven content, isn't it? You've actually got the content from the audience. That's the beauty of it. And so by doing that, everything's relevant to the rest of the audience. The other thing, Jeff, is that you've got to work out the true value of someone on your list. What is that lead really worth? And it's quite substantial. You know, if I had a list of a thousand people and I sent them an email as an example, statistically, market average is actually that only 20% of the people will open it. Trouble is you never know which 20. And then out of the 20% that open it, probably only 20% of those people will actually click on the link that I want. Now my numbers reduce dramatically, but those people that click on the link, not everyone will buy as well, but let's just say half of them bought. I'm down to maybe 
3-5% maybe of the total list that's actually making a buying decision. Now, whatever those sales were, if you divide that amongst the number of people, you know, that's sort of what that leads worth. And when you multiply that over, you know, say a five-year period, because someone might buy now, they might buy next year, they might buy in the fifth year, it really does add up to a substantial amount of value per lead. And I would suggest to you that a lead is worth, depending on your business, but it's probably worth $500, $1,000, or even more, maybe $2,000 to have someone on your list because you never know when they're going to purchase, but statistically they will at some point. And most people don't understand that. They just think it's a free entity and they're just sitting over there. They don't understand the value of it. And I know a real estate guy, as an example, that actually saw the value of it. And what he would do is put a flat plasma TV running four or $500 TV on his front desk, on his counter for the month. You put your name in the hat, you put your details in, and you went in the drawer. And he reckoned it cost him 50 cents per opted-in person on his list, 50 cents, but the true value of that person was actually worth five to $600 over time. So that was a pretty good swap to build a list. Then we need to consider the lifetime value of a lead. If a person comes into a doctor's surgery, they could be staying with that doctor for years and years and years until they die. Now, that's a good outcome for a doctor. Well, maybe it's not a good outcome for a doctor. But look at the dentist. The dentist could have that person going back to them for doing cosmetic surgery for years and years and years. And the value of that lead, the value of the lead, it's worth an awful lot of money. So you need to be deciding right up front how you're going to manage that list to drive the leads coming into your business. Thanks for listening to the Business Rescue 101 podcast. For more useful business tips and strategies, visit thebusinessdoctor.com.au.